0: Welcome back, Hemingway Brainiacs, to the Heming Brainiac List Podcast. Talking about Chapter 71, although you wouldn't know it because I messed up the subreddit discussion um, forum and I titled it Chapter 72. And, well, as you would expect, there weren't many comments because we're not up to Chapter 72 yet. So that's my bad. I did um, notice my mistake after about half a day. And I went in and said this was supposed to say chapter 71. <laughs> but, um, I think that was too little too late. Because it seems like we've kind of missed a chapter of discussion now. We did have one comment, though. And we had a discussion prompt, which was this. At least Phil did the break up properly this time. Um, yeah, you got to give him a little respect for that. He even gave her the real reason, saying that Mildred had come back. Um... I mean, speaking of too little too late, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, Philip has to do a lot more than that to earn back the reader's respect, or at least this reader's respect. Um, But that goes a little bit along the way towards that. Laura Weistitch said, sure, he did break up properly, but only because she forced him into it. He'd have rather have done it by letter. I think you're right. I think it did say that. And in fact, now that you say that, as I was sort of reading that, I remembered another thing about him boasting with his buddy. Um, I can't believe, I I mean, I can't remember if he was boasting to his buddy or boasting in the presence of his buddy internally in his own mind, but he was feeling very boastful about the fact that he'd, that it had been so easy um, to sort of split things up with Nora the first time around. And he was kind of chuffed with his efforts there. So, Philip. Less and less I like this character. Laura Wystitch also said this, I wonder what Nora understood about Mildred coming back. She was completely resigned after she found that out. True, I think she just knew deep down that, you know, that was the one that got away and that she just couldn't compete, maybe with that kind of infatuation, and hey, maybe it's got to do with the tacky romance novels that she writes. Maybe she's seen it all before. She knows how this thing works. Um, all right, let's just keep pushing through, because um, I'm actually very tired. So um, I think we just go we go ahead, don't we? Let's do it. Alrighty, chapter. These numer- Roman numerals are getting harder and harder. 70- oh, this is chapter seventy-two this time. For the next three months, Philip went every day to see Mildred. Yuck. <laughs> he took his books with him, and after tea, worked while Mildred lay on the sofa reading novels. Sometimes he would look up and watch her for a minute. A happy smile crossed his lips. She would feel his eyes upon her. Don't waste your time looking at me, silly. Go on with your work, she said. "'Tyrant,' he answered gaily. "'He put aside his book when the landlady came in to lay a cloth for dinner, "'and in his high spirits he exchanged chaff with her. "'She was a little cockney of middle age, with an amusing humour and a quick tongue. "'Mildred had become great friends with her and had given her an elaborate "'but mendacious account of the circumstances which had brought her to the pass she was in. "'The good-hearted little woman was touched and found no trouble too great, too great to make Mildred comfortable.' Mildred's sense of propriety had suggested that Philip should pass himself off as her brother. They dined together, and Philip was delighted when he had ordered something which tempted Mildred's capricious appetite. It enchanted him to see her sitting opposite him, and every now and then, from sheer joy, she took her hand and pressed it. He took her hand and pressed it. After dinner, she sat in the armchair by the fire, and he settled himself down on the floor beside her, leaning against her knees, and smoked, Often they did not talk at all, and sometimes Philip noticed that she had fallen into a doze. He dared not move, then in case he woke her, and he sat very quietly, looking lazily into the fire and enjoying his happiness. Had a nice little nap, he smiled, when she awoke. I have not been sleeping, she answered. I just closed my eyes. She would never acknowledge that she had been asleep. She had a phlegmatic temperament, and her condition did not seriously inconvenience her. She took a lot of trouble about her health and accepted the advice of anyone who chose to offer it. She went for a constitutional every morning that it was fine and remained out a definite time. When it was not too cold, she sat at St. James's Park. But the rest of the day, she spent quite happily on her sofa, reading one novel after another or chatting with the landlady. She had an inexhaustible interest in gossip. And Philip, with an abundant detail of the history of the landlady, of the lodges on the drawing-room floor, and of the people who lived in the next house on either side. Now and then she was seized with panic. She poured out her fears to Philip about the pain of the confinement, and was in terror, lest she should die. She gave him a full account of the confinement of the landlady and of the, land and of the lady on the drawing-room floor. Mildred did not know her. I am one to keep myself to myself, she said. I am not one to go about with anybody and she narrated details with a queer mixture of horror and gusto, but for the most part she looked forward to the occurrence with equanimity. After all, I'm not the first one to have a baby, am I? And the doctors say I shan't have any trouble. You see, it isn't as if I wasn't well made. Mrs. Owen, the owner of the house she was going to when her time came, had recommended a doctor, and Mildred saw him once a week. He was to charge 15 guineas. Of course, I could have got it done cheaper, but Mrs. Owen strongly recommended him, and I thought it wasn't worth while to spoil the ship for a coat of tar. "'If you feel happy and comfortable, I don't mind a bit about the expense,' said Philip. She accepted all that Philip did for her, as if it were the most natural thing in the world, and on his side he loved to spend money on her. Each five-pound note he gave her caused him a little thrill of happiness and pride. He gave her a good many, for she was not economical.' I don't know where the money goes to, she said herself. It seems to slip through my fingers like water. It doesn't matter, said Philip. I'm so glad to be able to do anything I can for you. She could not sew well, and so did not make the necessary things for the baby. She told Philip it was much cheaper in the end to buy them. Philip had lately sold one of the mortgages in which his money had been put. And now, with five hundred pounds in the bank, waiting to be invested in something that could be more easily realized, he felt himself uncommonly well to do. They talked often of the future. Philip was anxious that Mildred should keep the child with her, but she refused. She had her living to earn, and it would be more easy to do this if she had not also to look after a baby. Her plan was to get back into one of the shops of the company for which she had worked before, and the child could be put with some decent woman in the country. I can find someone who'll look after it well for seven and sixpence a week. It'll be better for the baby and better for me. It seemed callous to Philip, but when he tried to reason with her, she pretended to think he was concerned with the expense. You needn't worry about that, she said. I shan't ask you to pay for it. You know I don't care much how much I pay. At the bottom of her heart was the hope that the child would be stillborn. She didn't know more than hint it, but Philip saw that, that the thought was there. He was shocked at first, and then, reasoning with himself, he was obliged to confess for that for all concerned such an event was to be desired. "'It's all very fine to say this and that,' Mildred remarked, querulously, "'but it's jolly difficult for a girl to earn her living by herself. It doesn't make it any easier when she's got a baby. Fortunately—' "'You've got me to fall back on,' smiled Philip, taking her hand. "'You've been good to me, Philip.' "'Oh, what rot!' You can't say I didn't offer anything in return for what you've done. Good heavens, I don't want a return. If I've done anything for you, I've done it because I love you. You owe me nothing. I don't want you to do anything else, uh, to do anything unless you love me. He was a little horrified by her feeling that her body was a commodity which she could deliver indifferently as an acknowledgment for services rendered. But I do want to, Philip. You've been so good to me. Well, it won't hurt for waiting. "'When you're all right again, we'll go for our little honeymoon.' "'You are naughty,' she said, smiling. Mildred expected to be confined early in March, and as soon as she was well enough, she was to go to the seaside for a fortnight. That would give Philip a chance to work without interruption for his examination. After that came the Easter holidays, and they had arranged to go to Paris together. Philip talked endlessly of the things they would do. Paris was delightful then. They would take a room in a little hotel he knew in the Latin Quarter, and they would eat in all sorts of charming little restaurants. They would go to the play, and he would take her to the music halls. It would amuse her to meet his friends. He had talked to her about Cronshaw. She would see him, and there was Lawson. He had gone to Paris for a couple of months, and they would go to Balbouliere. There were excursions. They would make trips to Versailles, Chartres, and Fontainebleau. It'll cost a lot of money, she said. Oh, damn the expense. Think how I've been looking forward to it. Don't you know what it means to me? I've never loved anyone but you. I never shall. She listened to his enthusiasm with smiling eyes. He thought he saw in them a new tenderness, and he was grateful to her. She was much gentler than she used to be. There was in her no longer the superciliousness which had irritated him. She was not so accustomed to him now that she took no pains to keep up before him any pretenses. She no longer troubled to do her hair with the old elaboration, but just tied it in a knot, and she left off the vast fringe which she generally wore. The more careless style suited her. Her face was so thin that it made her eyes seem very large. There were heavy lines under them, and the pallor of her cheeks made their color more profound. She had a wistful look which was infinitely pathetic. There seemed to Philip to be in her something of a Madonna. The Madonna, sorry. He wished they could continue in that same way always. He was happier than he had ever been in his life. He used to leave her at ten o'clock every night, for she liked to go to bed early, and he was obliged to put in another couple of hours' work to make up for the lost evening. He generally brushed her hair for her before he went. He had made a ritual of the kisses he gave her when he bade her good night. First he kissed the palms of her hands, how thin the fingers were, the nails were beautiful, she spent much time in the manicuring of them. Then he kissed her closed eyes, first the right one, then the left, and at last he kissed her lips. He went home with a heart overflowing with love. He longed for an opportunity to gratify the desire for self-sacrifice which consumed him. Presently, the time came for her to move to the nursing home where she was to be confined. Philip was then able to visit her only in the afternoons. Mildred changed her story and represented herself as the wife of a soldier who had gone to India to join his regiment, and Philip was introduced to the mistress of the establishment establishment, establishment, as her brother-in-law. "'I have to be rather careful what I say,' she told him, as there's another lady here whose husband is an Indian civil. "'I wouldn't let that disturb me if I were you,' said Philip. "'I'm convinced that her husband and yours went out on the same boat.' "'What boat?' she asked innocently. The flying Dutchman. Mildred was safely delivered of a daughter, and when Philip was allowed to see her, the child was lying by her side. Mildred was very weak, but relieved that everything was over. She showed him the baby, and herself looked at it curiously. It's a funny-looking little thing, isn't it? I can't believe it's mine. It was red and wrinkled and odd. Philip smiled when he looked at it. He did not know quite what to say. "'and it embarrassed him because the nurse who owned the house "'was standing by his side, and he felt by the way she was looking at him "'that disbelieving Mildred's complicated story she thought he was the father. "'What are you going to call her?' asked Philip. "'I can't make up my mind if I should call her Madeline or Cecilia.' "'The nurse left them alone for a few minutes, "'and Philip bent down and kissed Mildred on the mouth. "'I'm so glad it's all over, happily, darling.' "'She put her thin arms around his neck.' You have been a brick to me, Philip, dear. Now I feel that you're mine at last. I've waited so long for you, my dear. They heard the nurse at the door and Philip hurried to go. The nurse entered. There was a slight smile on her lips. All right, there we go. There's another chapter down. A baby. And some awful circumstances. Philip makes me feel... The more and more sick with by his behavior every chapter and something about his little routine of kissing her I don't know why it made me, it was so cringy it was so cringy Philip, Philip, Philip Alright, have your say over at the subreddit, thanks very much for listening and I will see you tomorrow